Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that Your love for us depends on who and what You are, not who and what we are. We don't have to work. We don't have to do anything for Your love because of Your great grace. Now we commemorate that grace in giving, not from a sense of compulsion, but from a sense of great gratitude. And we do this to the King of kings and Lord of lords, even Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Morning. Didn't get in the bulletin, but this Friday is going to be fun night here at CBC. If you don't want to have fun, stay away. But if you want to have fun, then come. Everybody that came, this was our second one, by the way. And everyone that came last time just had a real hoot. So uh, we play games. There's so many things you can do. And there's refreshments. So I don't know where you're going to be on Friday night, but if it's not here, I don't think you're going to have as good a time. And it's free. Uh, Let's go over our memory verse for this month. Don't look surprised. Romans 8:28. For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Okay. I thought I'd get that in before we rebound. Before we confess any unconfessed sins to God, which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your faithfulness. We sing, Great is Thy faithfulness. But we should have an appreciation for how utterly faithful You are for all of our needs every single day. And we should take time every day to stop and thank You for all the things that You provide for us. We have no excuse for not going all the way to the seventh imputation, surpassing grace, blessings, and eternity. So we pray that you will help us to focus and concentrate, for we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Every once in a while, I'll have a picture just because I like it. Here's one. Do you see that? One of my spots just fell off. Here's the spot. The spot is wearing a bandana as well. That's one of the benefits of... Being behind the pulpit, sometimes you can show the pictures you want. Okay. Well, we've been on faith rest for quite a while now, and this morning we're going to go back to Joshua. Y'all remember Joshua, right? The guy that crossed the river? Yeah, okay. We're going to go back to Joshua. And I was thinking, well, I ought to do a little review because it's been quite a while since we've been in Joshua. Joshua chapter 11, verse 37, it talks about rest. And that got us into faith rest. And we've been into faith rest for several months now. And we're going back to Joshua to review. And I thought, why not go back all the way from the beginning to review Joshua? And this is a very brief review, even though we're not going to get all the way through it today. I don't know how far we're going to get, but we're going to just hit the highlights 
of Joshua starting in chapter 1. Do you know when we started Joshua chapter 1? That's right. October 31st, 2010. We've been in Joshua for about a year and a half now. Making great progress. <laughs> Only we're not measuring it by time, are we? We don't want to measure it by time because uh, I was talking to George this morning. He was telling me, oh, by the way, all the DVs, DVDs, oh, CDs are up to speed now. And so I guess you can check them in the back if you're ordering them. But he told me we have a machine now that can copy a DVD in 35 seconds. A, a, DV, a, what? a CD. A CD in 35 seconds. And I said, wouldn't it be great if we could just have some kind of adapter plug-in that they could just plug in doctrine in 35 seconds we've got it? That's not the way God designed it. We have to be plotters. We have to continue to keep on keeping on. So that's what we're going to do this morning with Joshua uh, chapter 1. Like Joshua and the Israelites who went on a journey, they crossed the river and went into the land of Canaan, every believer, after they are born again, also takes a journey. Now, unfortunately, most believers don't know where they're going. They don't know how to get there. They're essentially confused. They're muddled in their mind, and they just kind of go around in circles. And what happens is they're essentially just wasting time. And the older we get, the more we recognize how precious time is. And so we recognize that it is negative volition and ignorance that are the two big enemies of the Christian. And they go hand in hand. Wherever you find negative volition towards God's Word, you're going to find ignorance. Whenever you find negative volition and you find ignorance, what else is the compatible thing that goes along with it? Arrogance. People don't like to acknowledge that they don't know about certain issues or subjects, especially about the Bible. And they can be very dogmatic about things they know nothing of. But we are not of that ilk, are we? We are here because we have a purpose as believers. We have a goal. We know why we're here. We know how to reach that goal. And one of the things that we use in order to keep our momentum moving forward towards that goal is the seven imputations. Now, we're not going to go all over this again, but we are going to... We are going to just take a quick look at it. The more you see this, the more you're probably able to remember it. So, these are the seven imputations. The green is the imputations that take place with the unbeliever. The blue has to do with the believer. And the red has to do with the mature believer. Now, this is on the website, but it's the old one. So if you go to the, old, to the website to look at this, it's not going to look exactly the same. And changes made to the website are kind of like changes that are made in Congress. Very slowly. Now, I hate to compare our website to the Congress, 
That's the only way I would relate it is in a sense, and changes are made slowly. So we have two imputations to the unbeliever. Every person who has ever been born had these two imputations except for Jesus Christ. And what we essentially have is human life, and we are born spiritually dead and humanly alive or biologically alive, and when God imputes soul life uh, to the fetus, then it becomes uh, a human life. But the only problem is at the same time we have Adam's original sin imputed to our old sin nature and we are born spiritually dead. Now you think, man, what a bummer. But this is the greatest thing that God could do because condemnation must always preach salvation. So God condemned us immediately so that his grace could kick into gear. And now when, we, when anyone hears the gospel, it creates the potential of salvation. Now how is that salvation acquired? Faith alone in Christ alone, right? Is it hot in here? Can we, uh, Garth or someone, one of the deacons, check that? Uh, I might come out of this coat before long. We, that one and this one over here too. Garth, can you check this one? I think this is, is it running? Can y'all hear it? Okay. Oh, okay. Well, we might have to grease the ball bearings or something. I don't know. Okay. So, when you believe in Jesus Christ, boom! You're born again. You become a child of God and a lot of things happen. That doesn't necessarily mean that you feel it or that you have this great big emotional experience. Some people do and some don't. But what that does is kick you into the next area in the middle, which is the blue area. It has to do with the believer. And you are a believer because of the two imputations that are in squares. You see that are rectangles. That means that they're judicial imputations. A real imputation is what all the others are, and that means that whatever is imputed goes to what it has affinity for. I mean, it means that they are in harmony. They go together. But not judicial imputations. For our personal sins were imputed to Christ on the cross. Christ was perfect. And so when he received this imputation, uh, by the way, the only reason he was able to receive that imputation of all personal sins is because you and I were not condemned for our personal sins. We were condemned for Adam's sins. That what, that's what set up the potential for us to have salvation is we were right away from, from the moment that uh, we are born, we have this uh, potential of receiving the gospel and becoming a believer. And that allowed God to take all of our personal sins and impute them to Christ. Apart from that, we would have no salvation. The other imputation you see up here that's in a rectangle, a judicial imputation, is God's own righteousness. Now, God's righteous, righteousness is imputed to you the moment that you believe in Jesus Christ. You don't earn or deserve it, nor do I. So when you have these two, they balance out. Neither one of them going to where there is an affinity. And so when you have uh, our... We, we have God's righteousness, and in all of these, we could spend a lot of time, and I have spent a lot of time. This is just a quick review the GP going, the arrow going through the grace pipeline is logistical grace. The reason that you receive blessings from God, the logistical grace blessings, 
is because you possess God's righteousness. It came to you at the moment that you believed in Christ. So when you have God's own righteousness and you have logistical grace, you have everything needed in order to fulfill God's plan, it sets up the second potential. And the second potential is to... Where's my pointer? I need to put a string on my pointer. Didn't I use it once already? Did I use the pointer today? I didn't use it. Well, I have two more. Let's see if this one works. Yeah, there it is. Okay, here's the potential here is super grace blessings in time. Now, when we're talking about a goal, when we're talking about perspective and why are you here, what is your, what is your strategy? Where, what is your goal? Well, for some of you, it may be super grace blessings in time. Now, a lot of that one doesn't work anymore. There, it's kind of, kind of messed up. Uh, let's see, I've got another one. Did I drop it? Can you see that? <laughs> this is third string here. Uh, super grace blessings in time means that as a believer, you can get blessings that are abundantly magnified over the normal, mediocre, get-by Christian. And that is, should be the goal for everyone who hasn't reached it. This is where you want to go to. Super grace blessings in, in six categories, and we've already gone over those, so uh, this kind of reads you in the picture. You're not like one of these believers that just kind of mingles around and they didn't know what their purpose is. They're just trying to be good and live by the Ten Commandments. They don't know squat when it comes to the spiritual dynamics of the Christian life. It's when you understand that, you understand your purpose, you understand your goal, this is where you're headed. Now, some in this room have already reached this goal. But God isn't done with them yet. That kicks them over here into the red area, which is the area for mature believers. The two, two imputations there, we have eternal life imputed at salvation. That's imputed the same time that you have God's righteousness. So you have, to have, you have to be as good as God to live with God. And the only way He can manage that is give, give us His own righteousness. And also, you have to live as long as God lives. And that's why we get eternal life. So we're set up. We're ready to go in those areas. The eternal life is imputed to the human spirit. Now, as a believer, there's three parts to you. Body, soul, and spirit. This is given in Second Thessalonians, talking about the body, soul, and spirit. Unbelievers only have a body and a soul. They have no human spirit. So you acquire human spirit again over here when you believed in Jesus Christ. And this, these two imputations set up the last potential, eternal life, which is imputed at salvation, plus blessings in time over here. You already got this wired. Equals, or it means that you're going to get surpassing grace blessings in eternity. Now, that's the big deal. That's what you want. I mean, blessings in time are wonderful, indescribable, but they only last for this brief time we're on earth. When you get into surpassing grace blessings and understanding that they last for all eternity, what more could God have for us? And every person in this room, even if you're an unbeliever, 
you still have the potential of... I've got to come out of here. I'm sorry. Uh, you still have the potential... I'm sweating under here. Uh, you still have the potential to get all the way over here. First of all, you have to believe in Jesus Christ. But look what happens in every one of these cases. What is gospel? Gospel, the gospel is essentially what we call Bible doctrine. It's spiritual phenomenon. And it's the only thing that's pertinent for the unbeliever. So when you get that, it moves you on over here once you accept the gospel. Look what you have to have here. What? Bible doctrine. Without Bible doctrine, you'll never get these six categories of super grace blessings. And even once you have those, you'll never get over here to the surpassing grace blessings. Am I in the way? Y'all see over here? Without what? Bible doctrine. That's why we're here. That's why we're going to now continue with Joshua. I just want to throw that little bit in there because... Indeed, we're not going anywhere unless we know what our purpose is. How can you hit a target if you don't even know what the target is? So, here we have Joshua taking over the reins. Moses is dead and God has ordained Joshua to be the leader of the Israelites. That's the good news. The bad news, at least it was... It, would, it could have been for Joshua is that the first command that God issues to Joshua is in, in uh, verse 2 is, I want you to cross the river Jordan. And you might say, well, what's the big deal? We'll just catch a ferry. We'll get across. Go over the bridge. No such thing. First of all, the, the Jordan was in the flood season and some estimate that it could have been at least a mile wide. And the Israelites didn't have any pontoons. They didn't have any bridges. They didn't have any boats. They didn't have any rafts. And there's about, I think it's about a 2,000 foot fall from uh, the north up in the Galilee area. When the snow falls, it goes through the Jordan River down to the Dead Sea. And it's raging. It's wide, it's deep, and the water is really moving on. And God says, Joshua, I want you to take the people and cross the river. What would you do if you were Joshua at that point? Uh, God, did I hear you right? Are you sure that's the river you want us to cross? Are you sure that we're supposed to cross it now? Can't we wait two or three months? Not only that, what awaited on the other side of the river? About a zillion pagans who were bloodthirsty, who were into every type of occultic, idolatrous, uh, sexual perversion, and it wasn't a pretty sight. So that's what awaited them on the other side. I'm just wanting you to get the flavor of what it was like for Joshua to take over the rain. Verse 5. Oh, by the way, open your Bibles to Joshua. You should be in Joshua chapter 1. I want you to look at these verses. We're just going to pinpoint a few verses as we go. The first one's really... Uh, I go a little slower in chapter 1 because there's so much there. Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. Now, not only did God give Joshua the orders to cross the river... Something else he gave that was 
very important. And that was, he was going to carry with him the promises of God. And we see that in Jeremiah, uh, excuse me, Joshua 1.5. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Underline that one. And underline it in your own soul. Carry that with you wherever you go if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, this same promise is repeated to us believers in the church age in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. So it wasn't just for the Old Testament believers, it's for us as well. Joshua received four promises in this one verse, verse 5. Look at it. Number one, put little numbers in your, in your Bible in these verses help you pinpoint these. Number one, not any man will be able to stand before you. Boy, how would you like to have that promise? Well, you do. Number two, I will be with you as I was with Moses. And that is saying something, isn't it? Number three, I will not fail you. You know, it's nice to have friends, and friends can be very well-intentioned and well-meaning. Even when they try, and they may be trying hard, they still will fail you from time to time. But this is a promise from God. I will not fail you. And number four, I will not forsake you. God is with you wherever you go. Of course, He is omnipresent. But also, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, He is in you as well. So, four great promises right off the bat. Bam, 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 bam. And of course, Joshua needed this, and you would need it too if you were in Joshua's shoes. You needed that spiritual support and recognize that the battle is the Lord's. Verse 6, Be strong and courageous. I want you to underline that. This phrase is so important, it's found three times in the first chapter. Verse 6, 9, and 18. Fear is the biggest enemy in our life as Christians. Fear. Now, we have to understand how to combat fear. Uh, If you have a piece of paper... I hope you all have a piece of paper. If you don't, get a bulletin or something, write on it. Because I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to write it down. We've been on faith rest for, (laughs) what, a month or so? This is the antidote to fear. This is how we are able as Christians to handle this daunting nemesis that we have, which is fear. So what I'm going to ask you is, I want to know... The five ways to faith rest. Faith rest. That's what, remember, faith rest? I want you to jot down as many as you can think of. There, I gave you five ways to faith rest. I can assure you that Joshua was faith resting. 
See how many you can remember. They don't come necessarily in any particular order. And you probably have one of these ways of faith resting that you like more than the others. But it's nice to have all five when you're in Joshua's shoes, facing the impossible, seemingly impossible. Have I given you enough time? I could give some of you an hour and it wouldn't make any difference. All right, number one, promises. That's, that's what we already had that one right there. Look at the promises that God gave to Joshua right off the bat. Now, God is immutable and he has perfect veracity, which means it's impossible for God to lie. So if he says he's going to be with you wherever you go, then that is going to be the case. Nothing can happen to you apart from God allowing it to. And if he allows it, it's for a purpose. It's for a reason. Number two, the essence box. God's ten attributes. When you start thinking of God and His attributes, how much He loves you, about His uh, omnipotence and omniscience and all these things, as long as you're focusing on God, the problem starts to shrink and God gets all the bigger. In fact, hopefully, you have seen this so many times that when I say essence box, a box jumps into your memory here and that you can remember. Number three, the grace pipeline. Every day we see on the news statistics about how the uh, jobless rate is still excelling, how many uh, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of people who are out of work. Uh, just by the way, just because you're out of work doesn't mean your bill stop, does it? I think that would be a good time to, to uh, remember the Grace Pipeline. One thing more than anything with regards to the Grace Pipeline, remember this. God blesses you based on who and what He is, not who and what we are. Now that has to do with logistical grace. God is going to provide all of the things that you need. He's going to give you uh, shelter, transportation, clothes, uh, health, a local church, a pastor, teacher, your, His Word, everything that you need is given to you, not based on your as a reward for you, but because of His faithfulness and because of His essence. Number four is the seven imputations, His plan. So we're not meandering about, we're not just saying, well, what do you do now that you're saved as a believer? What's your goal? Where are you headed? Well, hopefully you'll be able to say, well, I'm headed for the seven surpassing grace imputations, or the, the seventh imputation, which is surpassing grace in eternity. Because heaven is not going to be an equal place, by the way. There's going to be places where some believers can't go. It's going to be for the elite only. And I don't know about you. I know heaven's going to be great, but I don't, I don't like to be kept out of anywhere, do you? Especially there, I wouldn't. All right, number five is the a fortiori um, equation or mentality. A fortiori is a Latin term, and it means with greater reason. So if God did the most for us in sending His own Son 
to become flesh and go to the cross to pay for our sins while we were yet His enemies. If that's the most He could do, don't you believe He's able, capable, more than capable of supplying your needs while you're here on earth? That's the I fortiori um, rationale, and we have used it. I'm not going to ask how you did. It's none of my business. You know how you did. So if you didn't get all five, you might uh, go on the Internet or go to the notes, whatever, and pick up some, some uh, more information you need on that. Verse 7, the main thing in verse 7 is God told Joshua not to turn from the right or to the left, and he would have success wherever he went. Don't turn from the left. Don't turn to the right. Stick right on. What does that mean to us? It's not something that is legalistic. What it means is, listen to this, keep your priorities straight. When you don't go to the left or to the right, it means you have the number one priority in your life is God. And you cannot have God as your number one priority and be ignorant of doctrine. If you have a cavalier, take it or leave it attitude towards uh, God's Word, then that's your attitude towards God as well. And so he tells us, don't, bury, don't get off course. Stick right with doctrine. That's what it means not to get off to the left or to the right. Now, verse 8. This book of the law, and the law here is referring to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Being able to apply the right doctrine to your circumstances doesn't happen overnight. It takes commitment. It takes time. It takes consistent study. And no one is there to prod you to make you do it. You don't have to do it. You don't have to study. You don't have to be committed to not veering to the left or the right. You don't have to be uh, committed to... Uh, not letting this His Word depart from your mouth. But if you have that attitude, then your circumstances will eat you alive and you will go through life and at the end of your life, you're going to think, what was this all about? You had no target. You're just meandering, just wandering around. Uh, no purpose. And so, it takes a commitment on your part. You don't have to commit to me. You don't have to commit to anybody. All it means is you understand that if you're going to have success in this life, and remember, success doesn't have a dollar sign on it, okay? It doesn't matter what your uh, financial situation may be. Success comes from the Lord, not from money. Verse 8 gives us three things for, uh, that we need to do with regards to doctrine. Now, this would be a good time also to write these three points down and remember them. The first one it's talking about is think about it. Think about doctrine. But you shall meditate on it day and night. Psalm 1-2 says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, 
and in his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 119.97, Oh, how I love your law. It is the meditation, my meditation, all the day. I hope you're not a mediocre believer that the only time that you think about God's Word is when you're at church. They call those compartmentalized Christians. Because when they're at church, they think and act like a Christian. When they're at work, they act like an employee, not necessarily a Christian. If they're out... uh, Let's say out. Uh, let's say they're involved in sports. When they're in sports, they act and think as one on the team, and that's fine. We all have to do that to a point. But wherever you go, you have to remember that you carry the Word of God right here, circulating in your stream of consciousness, and that's what it's talking about. Don't go to the left or right. Meditate on it day and night. How often do you think of God's mandates, the doctrines, and have an appreciation for what, he, for what He has done to you every single day. Do you do that during the day? What does people spend so much of their time and energy on? I just said it a minute ago. The dollar sign, right? Money. This is, I really like this verse. You might jot this one down, at least the address, about money. Have you ever... When you're reading the Bible, did you ever read something and just say out loud, Amen? Huh? Well, that's one of these verses. It's Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4 through 5. It says, Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies towards the heavens. I don't think anything truer has ever been said, do you? So, our purpose isn't to assume or amass as much money as we possibly can thinking that that's going to make us happy because we know better than that. Number two, in this verse, 8, it says that we are to talk about it. Talk about doctrine. The verse says, Uh Uh-oh. Hey, Ken, can you come up here and help me? I just lost the whole shooting match. And I don't want to take the time to find it here. Will you come up here and and put, put the review back on here for me? I don't know how I can touch one little button. Somewhere, I don't even know if I was on a button. Okay, we are to talk about it, right? We are to tell our children when they rise, when we go to sleep, all these things, we are to talk about doctrine. You know one way you can tell if you're in a really um, vivid, vital church that is on target? You know one way to tell? Well, there's a couple of ways. Number one is... Watch the people come in. Don't look at their hairdo. Don't look at their clothes. Look to see if they're carrying a Bible. That's a good sign that you're in a a church that is doing its job. The second one is after... Thank you, sir. Boy, it's great to have people just come up here and do it. Um, The second one 
is they talk about God's Word after church. They talk about God's Word when you're out eating. Usually people eat after church. And they discuss something about God's Word. They talk about God's Word at parties. They talk about God's Word when they're on the phone. They talk about God's Word any time that they have an opportunity. Not just at church. And that's what it, talk, what it means when it's saying... The law shall the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. The third thing is this may be the hardest. Are you ready for it? Two words. Do it. We would say apply the doctrine, but I like do it better. Uh, in the sixties they had a phrase, they said just do it. But they didn't have doctrine in mind. They didn't have applying doctrine in mind. Oh, uh, about talking about it, uh, before I left that, I should have given you. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7 says, You shall teach them, this would be your children, diligently, teach the biblical precepts diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. How often do you talk to your children about God's Word. How many times do you have opportunities to explain from God's Word things that they need to learn? Well, the opportunities are massive, aren't they? I mean, the first time that little Johnny doesn't want to share his toys with his sister, what a great teaching opportunity. Now, with regards to do it, we have Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it. Listen to that. He set his heart. That's saying he made a determination. He made a commitment in his own soul that he was going to do this. And to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. James chapter 1 verse 22. But prove yourselves, what? Doers of the word and not hearers only. Now, we're not going at a terrific speed here, are we? And I don't think that the whole review is going to go this slow. It's just that these are so good, I just can't fly by. Verse 9. Haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, this is over and over. And remember, this is paralleling our life, Joshua. This is the people who are on a journey and their purpose was to go over and to take Canaan and occupy and have victory in the land. This is the thing. This is, this is the thing with regards to fear. If you can't remember anything else, this is very short, just a short phrase that will help you. Here it is. Are you ready for it? Because fear is the greatest danger to our spiritual life. Here's, here's what I want you to remember. Fear focuses on danger. Courage focuses on the Lord. Fear focuses on danger. Courage focuses on the Lord. And it's up to you what you focus on. Nobody can tell you or make you focus on something you don't want to focus on. You have the opportunity whenever adversity hits, whenever you're... uh, in a jam, whatever it may be, 
To focus on the problem or focus on the Lord? Most of the time people fear logistical support, fear they're not going to be prosperous. And so many people, even though there's a lot of believers who fear death, and we shouldn't. We should have an eternal sense of destiny. I mean, we only have this little bit of time left on earth to grow up. And the decisions that we make now, however much time we have left, is determined, is going to determine who we will be and what we will have for all eternity. Can you get bigger than that? Can you get more important than that? So the decisions that you make now that correlate staying right straight with the Word, keeping your priorities straight, is not only going to determine what your life is going to be like now, whether you're going to face it with fear or courage, but it's also going to determine what you're going to be and who you're going to be for all eternity. Now notice, I did not say it's going to determine where you're going to be. You can be the biggest dumb butt believer that ever lived, and you're still going to be in heaven. Sweeping the streets. I don't know, some, I remember some believer here asked me one time, or he made the comment, I sure hope they have motorized sweep, uh, street sweepers in heaven. Gold-plated, I guess. Huh? Well, we have a lot more aspirations than that. Now, Joshua chapter 1, verse 10 through 11, tells the people to get prepared to cross in three days. Now, they were in Shittim, about 10 miles from the Jordan River. And when God told Joshua to cross the river, he moved them up to the river, and then he told them, in three days we're going to cross the river. Now, just think of a moment. Here you are, one of these Israelites... You go up and you look at that river. You're trying to see the other side. And you're looking at the current. You're looking. Oh, I notice there's no boats. There's no rafts. There's no bridge. Joshua said we're going to cross the river in three days. When are the boats coming? You know, God told them, He said, I will teach you the way across the river. He wasn't talking about the direction to go. I mean, when you're going across a river, there's only one direction to go, right? And they had crossed rivers before. And so He didn't have to explain to them how to cross a river. But they had never crossed a river like this before. And what God was saying when He says, I will show you the way... It was the way of faith, of trusting Him. And He would take care of it. See, that's the way. Not the direction, but the way. He would show them the way. And the way He did it is fantastic. All right, chapter 2. That wasn't all that bad with chapter 1. That's probably the longest time we'll spend on any chapter, but boy, was there a lot there. And I'll probably make myself out a liar before this is done, but... Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, sent to 
men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Oh, Rahab. Boy, did we learn a lot from Rahab. See, we were learning from a harlot. And even the Bible makes certain that we know that she was a harlot because just about every time it mentions her name, it's talking about Rahab the harlot. She was a phenomenal woman. Now, one may ask, why did Joshua send over spies to, to spy out the land on the other side of the river? Was that a lack of faith on Joshua's part? Well, no. Because what happened when that first generation of Exodus, uh, of the Exodus generation, the first one, that went to the Jordan and they finked out, remember? What did God have them do before they crossed the land, uh, the river? He sent the spies out, remember? The 12 uh, spies, and they came out and said, all oh, the land was all that we had hoped it to be. Oh, but there's, we're like grasshoppers. There's giants in the land and all. They threw a big pity party. So my point is, is that even though God has promises that He gives us, Faith does, faith does not mean that there's not going to be effort on your part. Yes, God has promised logistical grace to you, but that doesn't mean you can quit your job and wait for a supernatural check to be in the mail. It's not going to happen. We still have to use effort and use our own devices the best we can, and God will bless that, and that's essentially what's going on there. Proverbs 20:18 says, Prepare plans by consultation and make war by wise guidance. And that's what was uh, going on. Now, one thing that the spies found out, that the people were terrified of the Israelites because they had heard what happened in Egypt. The ten plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea and all the people that they had conquered. So uh, they had hit the panic button. We'll get to that in a minute, but the last little bit of time we have left... I want to say a few things about Rahab. Number one, she was a believer. This prostitute in a pagan city where there was no missionaries was a believer. Now, how could that happen? Well, we know that she had heard because she said that she had heard about the great victories that the Israelites had in Egypt and the plagues and how everywhere they went, they went, the God of Israel would, would give them victory wherever they went. And all the supernatural things that had happened. And she started putting the pieces together. Because she also had, was positive at God consciousness. In other words, when Rahab looked at the mountains, she looked at the stars, she looked at the sun, she looked at the ocean. She see all these things. She said, you know, I know that man didn't make this. Man, there's no way that man can make these. And the next thing you knew, she started connecting the dots and saying, okay, if this God of Israel is the one that is unlike any other God that gives that type of victory, it must be the same one who created the heavens and the earth. She put it together and she believed on the revelation that she had at that time. And she was a believer. We could say that she was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, even though Christ had not been born yet. He had not been named Jesus. 
and all of these things. But the revelation that she had, she was positive towards it. And we know that she was a believer. And I want you to think about this. Uh, the second point is that uh, Rahab fought for herself. That's rare these days. She just didn't take on the line and the ideas that everybody else had. She was an individual that thought for herself. She had to be thinking for herself. As far as we know, she was the only believer in Jericho. Maybe the only one in that whole land of Canaan at that time. I don't know. But certainly, she didn't get this information from getting, in, uh, getting uh, other people's opinions. She thought for herself. And what that means is that she didn't accept everyone else what they thought without question. And nor should you. You should run everything through the filter of God's Word. She didn't have God's Word, but she did have revelation. Now just think about this. Her family, her friends, her neighbors, everyone that she knew of were pagan, pagan to the core. They were very into the occultic practices that they had. Her education, her religion, everything that she was being taught, she turned her back on in order to accept the truth. And that's our next point. Rahab uh, was a truth seeker. The truth meant more to her than anything, and she was ready to risk everything for her faith. When the two spies came to her and she hid them, she was putting her own life at stake for the faith that she had. See, that's the doing it part that we saw earlier. And the other point is that she had to defy authority in order to do the right thing. And that is the case sometimes. She went against the king. She went against the king's messengers, everyone that had authority over it. They had the authority to take her life, and she still went against them because they were in the wrong. The same holds true for Josephed. Why is y'all mouth open up when I said Josephed? Y'all all remember Josephed? Moses' mother. She went against the Pharaoh, the edict to kill all the male babies. She didn't do that. And she also taught uh, Moses uh, from the Word. Also, Deborah, Esther, and Abigail. Three more examples of great women in the Bible that had to go against the authority that was over them. I really like Abigail. She shows so much character. You remember what her husband's name was? Anybody remember what Abigail's husband's name was? Nabal. What does it mean? Worthless. It actually means worthless fool. How did people get the names that fit them so well? How would you like to go around, <laughs> around and somebody said, What's your name? Oh, worthless fool. I don't know. Anyhow, uh, those are some things about uh, Rahab that are very instructive to us. She acted on her faith based on evidence. What have we been doing on Tuesdays and Thursdays the last few weeks, huh? We've been giving evidence that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. 
We don't believe it just because somebody told us. We don't believe it just because our parents believed it. We believe it because of evidence. This is your homework if you don't know it. I want four evidences that you could show an unbeliever that the Bible is God's Word. I'm not going to tell you what it is. That's your homework. I won't check your homework, but God will. See, many people think that faith is a belief in something that has no evidence. They think it's a blind faith. Quite the contrary. She saw in the creation of God uh, 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 the historical facts. She mixed that and decided Israel was the God of heaven and earth. And then she decided to act on it. When the spies came, she knew that they were from a nation whose God was the Lord, and she helped them. And even she, we see something about her character. She was a prostitute, and look what she did. She put her family first. When she was, I don't know, I'm not going to say making a deal, but when she was say, talking to the two spies, she says, Now look, I've saved your hide, and now I expect you to save my family's hide. That would only be the right thing to do. And, of course, they agreed to it. So the promise was, and by the way, that's in Joshua chapter 2, verse 12. Rahab risked her life to save the two spies, so in turn they would save her. She was more interested in saving the life of her family. And there's something that's very interesting about what she did. And she knew that the Israelites were going to come soon and they were going to destroy Jerusalem. And so they said, now, what you need to do so, we, so the soldiers will know that you are under God's protection is hang a rope outside of your window. And when they see that rope, then they will know no one there is to be harmed. And what's even more interesting, guess what color the rope was? <laughs> Red. Why not green? Why not orange? See, everything in the Bible has a purpose. Of course, that thread that was red is the thread that goes throughout the whole Bible, and it's the blood of Christ. It's not talking about His literal blood. It's talking about His spiritual death on the Christ for us. Everywhere you go, you see what that is. Okay, I'm going to wind up uh, chapter 2 with these three points with regards to Rahab. And I can't wait till next Sunday to get to chapter 3 because you know what happens in chapter 3? They cross the river. Okay. First of all, she's men mentioned in the heroes of chapter 11 of, Hebrew of Hebrews. That's the elite of the elite. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 31 says, By faith Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. And this is mentioned in the Hall of Heroes, chapter 11 of Hebrews. Secondly, she was one of only four women mentioned in the line of Jesus Christ. Only four women were mentioned, and she was one of them. Thirdly, she is mentioned along with the patriarch Abraham in the book of James. Now, you don't get higher in Jewish history than Abraham. 
And she's mentioned in the same breath with Abraham. Isn't that something? Rahab was humble. She sought truth. Anybody that has those two ingredients, they're humble and they're seeking truth. We have God's word on it that they're going to receive the truth and if they accept it, then they will become a part of the royal family of God based on their faith of the revelation of salvation of whatever time it is. And in our time, we know that that's referring to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I'm out of time. I'd like everyone please to put your books down, bow your heads, and think. I don't know that everyone here is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you have an opportunity this morning to do what Rahab did. She took the information that she had with regards to salvation and she believed it. Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He went to the cross on your behalf. He died, was buried, and was resurrected. And now our living Christ offers eternal life to anyone who will trust Him and Him alone for their eternal salvation. It's not what you do. It's what He has already done. And the moment a person stops relying on their works and starts relying on Jesus Christ and His work, they are born again. What grace. They become a royal family member of God. And now they can have a purpose. Their journey can have meaning. And they can look forward to the fulfillment of the great promises that God has given for those who have trusted Him. Father, we thank You that You are our God and that You never leave us or forsake us or fail us. Sometimes the journey can get very hard. It can be very scary. It can be very dark. We're so thankful that You are with us every step of the way. We pray that You will help us to meditate upon Your Word day and night and not lean to the left or to the right so that we can fulfill our purpose in this life, which is to glorify You and reap great blessings for ourselves. We pray this in Christ's most high and holy name. Amen.